are talking with Mike Ayers, author of One Last Song. Mike Ayers is a writer and editor whose work about arts and culture has appeared in Rolling Stone, Time, The Wall Street Journal, Billboard, Vulture, Up Rocks, and many more. He's currently the executive editor of Money.com. One Last Song is his first book. I'd like to give you a little brief description, some grounding, if you will, for today's conversation. In One Last Song, Conversations on Life, Death, and Music, Mike Ayers asks 32 musicians one tough question. If you could listen to one final song before you die, what would it be? and why. Artists like Wilco's Jeff Tweedy, one of my personal favorites, by the way, Phoebe Bridgers, Regina Spector, and many more tackle this with surprising choices and beautiful responses. The collection reveals as much about how we think about death as to what we hold dear in our lives on Earth. One Last Song was picked as one of Time's most anticipated books for fall 2020, and Variety selected it as Best Music Book of 2020. With that, Mike Ayers, welcome to The Premise. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for, have, for, thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, we're super excited about this book. It is a beautiful book, let me just say that, right out of the gate. It is. Oh, thank you. It's so good to hear. It looks really pretty on a coffee table, folks. So, you know, if you're looking for something, a good conversation piece, this is definitely that. And one that kind of makes you look cool, honestly. I feel like we look pretty cool with it on our coffee table, wouldn't you say, Chad? Oh, wait, uh, we're in COVID. No one sees no. our coffee table. Well, but they will. And it will remain there. <laughs> well, I got to ask you. You know, Jim James is the forward and of more, My Morning Jacket, for those of you. He, he says something in the forward that really resonated with me. And I'm just going to say it to our readers, or our listeners rather. We can all find some common ground in death. That really struck me. When you, when, when you asked him to write the forward, did you guys talk about it before? Or how did that come to be? I had asked him um, to be one of the participants in the in the book. Mm -hmm. I had already had maybe I don't know close to twenty, um, and I reached out to his manager, and uh, she wrote me back and was just like, "Yeah, send send along the prompt or what or what you want him to think about." And uh, so I did, and within twenty four hours, I had this beautiful piece of writing in my inbox and wow. uh it was I, I was stunned um he he really he really got into this question he got into the philosophical aspects um around it and so it was a logical choice to ask him to to write the foreword i just i just think that he he got it. He he got it, and he can profess what the collection means on a on a bigger level. And you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of important that someone write a foreword that you know really articulates that you don't have to know the song that the people are talking about and still get something out of their their choice in reading what is behind their choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, you, you talked about that, that line that really struck you. It's, 
you know, death is like the the great equalizer, right? You know, yeah. it's, it is something that everybody has in common. And, you know, hopefully one of the running threads through the book is that, um, you know, you might not like the same song or have the same attachment to it, but music weaves itself into into everybody's it has the ability to weave itself into your soul into your essence in ways that other art forms they don't have you know like you don't have a, a thing that you can listen to a thousand times and never and never get tired of it you don't have uh you know it's just it's something that that speaks to to people and connects them to moments of their life I think he got that, and I hope, you know, I hope that's kind of what, you know, a, a takeaway would be from from the book. Totally, yeah. I mean, after I read that forward, I was like, I want to go listen to more My Morning Jacket. Like I thought, wow, like I just totally got the essence of, you know, this deep philosophical way of looking at life and music and human connection. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, the reason why I wanted to do this with musicians is because, um, you know, the people in this book are at the top of their game. You know, they are they are writing music that is connecting to, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people. So, you know, not only are they doing something right, but they, you know, their job is to is to think about these things and and melodies and why melodies are so important, why lyrics are so important to people. Um, and you know, I, I thought that they they would have insight into other people's uh, work or music that that connected to them, mm. and and really and really be able to shed light on that in ways that us lay people could never do. Well, I was going to ask you if you were a musician. I mean, considering that you've written for Rolling Stone and Spin and Billboard. No, I'm, I'm not a musician. Um, I what? have always, How does this happen? <laughs> how did this happen? I mean, I've always just really taken it from a, like a cultural perspective and how, how music and art creates like meaning in, in, in people's lives. And it's always, it's always been about that. Right, and right. I think this book, you know, it's it's around that that ethos for for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, no musician. Um, I was forced to play the flutophone when I was in elementary school, <laughs> and oh. I played the cello for one year oh. because there was a girl that I was like that I liked who was that also playing the cello. So I figured like it was. A a good idea and B a good move to get out of a uh, out of class for thirty minutes. Wait, was this like sixth grade or high school? Or? It was like fifth grade, I think. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's great. I love it. You'd be surprised at you know, well, maybe not at how much that motivates musicians. M boys I in think general, in, in I think. boys in the early years, anyway. Yeah, but see, here's the thing that about the cello the cello is a massive instrument and when you're like in fourth or fifth grade it's bigger than most kids totally so i could barely carry it around you're talking and to an upright bass player just so you know <laughs> like you know it, it's funny 
you're just not going to have that rock star moment, like strutting into fourth grade with a cello. <laughs> with the like, cello. Like that, 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 that's not turning. That's turning heads for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, but you'll take whatever you can get at that age, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Well, did you get proficient at all at the cello? No. Not in a year. <laughs> not in a year. He's like, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, but I do have a vivid memory of the of the end of the year concert and mm. you know they made you they made you play with a bow but they also had a few songs where you just plucked so it was just all these fourth and fifth grade kids just plucking violas and violins and cellos to like i don't know three blind mice or something like that so it actually sounds painful it's uh, like painful to listen to. Yeah, it, it probably was. <laughs> or or um, be involved. But also in... your little bony fingers, it was, you know, physically painful for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pain all the way around. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing I think about this book that really got me is the, uh, like all the different genres of mm-hmm. artists you pulled from. Mm-hmm. Like you've got Sonny Rollins and you've got... Uh, Regina Spector, and you've got you know people from My Morning Jacket, and yeah, it's just all over the place. Yeah, Lucinda you, Williams. I wish Tom Waits was in here, though. I have to say, yeah, he's um, <laughs> you know obviously super reclusive, but yeah. you know Matt Berninger from The National. Yeah, uh, you know obviously that's one of his uh, choices to to go out on Tom Waits. Uh, Oh, but he chose Excellent. two songs. I know. He got away with two. I know. I can't <laughs> believe you was, let that happen. This, I know. This was a big, uh, this was a big debate in my head. And, uh, you know, I, I let it slide because they're, they, they backed it up on why he backed it up on why it needed to be two. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those songs are short, you know, it's maybe like five minutes some people are picking like 16, 17 minute long songs. So I, I thought it was, I thought it was okay in this, in this instance, but in terms of like the genre, I think I really wanted it to be, you know, every people are so omnivorous with their musical tastes right now. I think, um, you know, it, it would do a disservice to something like this. If you just focused on, on indie rock or, or just or 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 jazz or or one genre, um, and this way, if you are reading reading this and you don't know who the person is, you can maybe discover something that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you know who they are, uh, maybe maybe you don't even know what what the, their pick is, and so it leads you down to a to some some more discovery, which I think is cool. Which is um, which is the way music has has gone. It's you know shifted yeah. obviously in the last ten years, twenty years from you know program programmatic radio to literally Spotify customizing a playlist based on your listening habits and what it thinks you will like. Well, that was actually going to be one of my questions: is do you actually have a Spotify playlist for this book? I do, I do. In Yay! I knew it. <laughs> yes. Yay! I, I didn't know that, honestly, uh, when I started the book, I assumed he's got to have one because I, I sat down, I decided that I was going to read the book and I was going to listen to the songs that everyone chose. As you read it. And then I hit uh, Requiem and things got a little long. Yeah. At like 53 minutes. And I'm like, you know, I just have to skip. 
have to skip yeah, this one. That is a that's a I mean that's a bold choice. Um, it's uh, it's, it's a, a smart death. choice too. If you're if you are in the position where you're thinking these are the last moments, picking something at fifty three minutes that's pretty good. It's giving you a little more, yeah, a little more right. runway. Is there, is there some sort of <laughs> more runway? Some sort of song that you could choose that's just an infinite <laughs> loop at the end of a record where it just kind of keeps going and going and going and going. And then it's like I problem solved. <laughs> you never die. That's how that works, right? Hmm. Um, no one has actually brought that up. Um, that is a good uh, loophole that you're that you're pointing out. Um, I will I will certainly have to uh, I will have to think about that for sure. I thought about American Pie for that reason because it's you know at one point it was the longest song on the Billboard charts. I think at like six minutes or something. I should have looked it up, but. Yeah, I was thinking longevity and the problem with that is then you'd have to hear American Pie as your last song. Hey now, I actually like Don McLean and <laughs> I like American Pie. <laughs> yeah, that is the rub. Like that That'd is be... your last song. Like, really right. I'm going out on this, huh? Yeah. Okay, so Mike, what is your last song? So my last song is revealed in the the very last piece of writing in the in the book. You don't um, want to give it away right here and right now. No, of course I'll give it away. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to. We, we can make people go get the book. Um, no, but it's usually like a tit for tat situation. So, uh, you know, I'll say this and you all obviously have to uh, spill yours. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was a big uh, and still am uh, a big uh, fan of the Grateful Dead. And I was super into them in high school and they have a song called Terrapin Station. It too is not short. Mm. Um, it usually clocks in around 12, 14 minutes. And I don't know, it just really sunk its teeth into me when I was 18 years old. And, you know, obviously they have so many different versions because they're such a live band and you can really hear a difference in the versions over a course of 15, 17 years that they were, that they were playing at live. And, uh, I don't know. I just, it just, it came, it came to me, it came into my life in a very coming of age, uh, moment. Um, you know, the later versions, uh, you know, Jerry Garcia was, he was on his, on his his last wins in a lot of ways and the versions that they would play in like the late 80s and early 90s they just seem very uh he just he just has this intonation in his voice that is that is it's just so beautiful and um at times it's just very powerful and he uh, but at times it's very, it's, it just feels very broken and, and, and mm. weathered and mm. it just, I don't know, that feels like that is life for, that's a life, I think, but it's also like a day to day, you know, like you, people probably go through those feelings. That is life, isn't every it? Every yeah. single day of yeah. feeling a little bit beat down, a little bit, you know, just jazzed about life like like there's just all these little moments that perk people up and bring people down um and that song the like it has it's the the structure is very it has a, a bunch of different parts to it so there's 
you know, some interesting tempo changes and it just doesn't get old to me. And, and that's it. That's it. That's, that's the reason. That's the thing that I really got, you know, in your introduction to the book is that, you know, you can choose a song for any reason, but really at the core of it is like that you can listen to it over and over again and it doesn't get old to you. You know, it's got, it, it does something to you that brings up nostalgia, deep emotions, you know, just this, these feelings of like living life. And I, I really got that. I appreciated the intro. I really appreciated the forward too, but that, that was so cool to like, hear your reasons for doing this and getting people to think about death in this collective way by bringing us together with something that's so universal and so lasting. It's so timeless. Music really does bring us back. Like I hear a song from my childhood and I'm transported. I'm back there. It does. It's, it's such you know, it's such a unique art form in that, in that way. And it's like, I recently watched the Goonies, which is easily one of my favorite movies, but awesome. you know, as I get yeah. older, <laughs> you know, I have a different perspective and I'm seeing things in, in different ways. And, you know, I've seen it a bunch of times. Um, and I don't know if it still has that same wonderment because I'm not a child and the movie is about you know, child wonderment, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I wasn't watching it every single day for, uh, you know, years there's, you know, listening to the dead and listening to the way they played music and listening to this song, you know, I was certainly doing that for years straight and, and still do it. And it's, it's super cliche with the, you know, soundtrack of your life thing, but it's, it kind of has become that in in a lot of ways and if people if people have that no matter what that song is um that's that's a wonderful thing and and if you think about like a lot of the artists in here they they really were thinking about literally those last moments and how how hearing a piece of music it would be in the music that they are choosing would just be comforting if you if you were leaving you know it would make things feel okay like mm-hmm. like somewhat like mm. like something you loved is holding mm-hmm. your hand as you exit totally yeah so chad and i of course you know we've been reading this book and talking a lot about it and most of our listeners know that we're married we're an actual couple not just hosts on a podcast and today we really like, we're like, okay, what's, what's your song? And I thought for sure, like my first initial reaction was Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley. And, and I thought, how basic and cliche is that? He said that actually. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> what? But the thing about it, like, that, and I started listening to it and I'm like, yes, I can listen to that song forever. And if that was the song that I was listening to when I died, I'd be super happy about it but I knew I'm like well and then I started thinking thinking about the album Wrecking Ball Emmylou Harris produced by Daniel Lenoir and I was like oh yeah it's Wrecking Ball and I was listening to that I'm like yeah yeah this is closer written by Neil Young another one of my favorites and then I was like oh wait a minute where will I be Emmylou Harris written 
by Daniel Lenoir. And it started playing and I literally started crying. Like my eyes just filled with tears. And I was like, this is it. This is my song. For so many reasons. I grew up super religious. And I can remember listening to that song when I was younger thinking like, this is the song I'm going to hear when I die. And I'd forgotten about that until I started playing. You thought that when you were a kid? Well, I'm, I got to say, I was in my 20s. Oh, okay. You know, I was discovering myself. So I'm going to say kid. Yes. Okay. a metaphorical kid. I'm 50 now. So it felt like a, I was definitely a kid in my 20s. You know, I, it's like I discovered Emmylou Harris and Daniel Lenoir. And I, I worked in a record store and music was really a part of my life. And when I discovered Wrecking Ball, it's like I could listen to that song over or that album over and over because I was discovering me. So it was sort of like you mentioned earlier, like coming of age in a way where like I was becoming the person I was going to be. And I was like leaving the era of my life where I was incredibly religious, but still had, you know, some of those beliefs. So where will I be? when I hear that trumpet sound like resonated with me big time and I'd forgotten. So when all of a sudden it started playing and like her voice and, you know, Daniel and was just, it's so amazing. His, his work just moves me. I just literally started crying. I was like, Oh my God, this is the song. This is it. And Chad looked at me and <laughs> they're like, yeah, this is definitely my last song. Such an emotional thing when you think about it in those terms. Yeah. 100%. I mean, look, you know, Emmylou is, I mean, it's incredible. And it, it's obviously this, this transition period where, you know, you, obviously you're leaving, you're leaving this one part of your life behind and you're, you're moving on to what could become. And there's, you know, the future's scary. And, that thing was there to, to, to help you. Those trumpets, like they, they locked in and right, right. it's, it's important. <laughs> I mean, that's like, look, it's like 30, 25 years later and it's still, it says something that, that, that work, that three or four minutes or however long it is, is mm -hmm. can, mm -hmm. can do that. It's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. I think, I think this book is really important. I think it's like, it's lighthearted and fun. It's beautifully designed. You know, I mean, it's got... Lighthearted and fun about a morbid subject matter. But... Exactly. But like we can laugh about it and joke, oh, who chose that song? Or, you know, and then the next thing you know, you're like you're emotional and crying and remembering and living. So this book is about living. And like, just like Jim James said, you know, that's the one thing that can bring us all together. Like that's the thing we all have in common. We're all going to die. It's pretty cool. And the other thing too, that I just, I found myself loving during the whole process, process. of it is that yeah. it just didn't, it didn't matter what people chose. And, mm. you know, if you are tempted to be a music snob, like. I thought about it. Know, I'll be honest. I thought about it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if you had said like, um, you know, no doubt, you know, and, but you had this really <laughs> profound reason about no doubt that it was just the Emmy Lou Harris story, but instead it was no doubt, you know, that's, it's that's just phenomenal. Good, yeah. That's great. Right. That no doubt has done that to you. You know, totally. like there's, there's literally no wrong answers and everybody's, 
everybody's answers just shine like just a little bit of light into who they are and what they held or hold dear to them. Which is why I've chosen a Hootie and the Blowfish song. Well, that's, that's excellent. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's a big Hootie Renaissance happening right now. So it's uh, really, maybe, Hmm. I mean, I think there's, I think there's some revisionist history going on and, I, I'm know, guessing uh, you're not writing it. I'm not writing it, but I'm, you know, one eyebrow raised at it. Mm. Uh, but um, it's a good visual. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, my dad loved Hootie and the Blowfish when they were when they were the big uh, the big to do. But um, anyways, I digress. Chad, what is the real song? All right, so I have to take you back to a young Chad Thompson. Mm. Who we want to go there. Who was a a music nerd in junior high and high school. And I remember I, I had to go. So there's this book, it's called the real book, right? And at the time you couldn't legally buy the real book Hmm. because it was filled with a bunch of songs that were uh, transcribed by a couple guys from Berkeley school music. And it was illegally produced. They, none of the songwriters got any money. So I remember having to go to, um, you could buy this in a music store, but it was one of those things where you have to like, with a, a nod and a wink, talk to the guy <laughs> behind the counter and say, hey, I want the real book. And they'd hand you this thing called the fake book, which was absolute garbage. And they hand, you no, know, that's not what I want. I want the real book. And then they, you know, they go underneath the counter and pull out this book, look around and, and sell you this, you know, $35 photocopied book that's been spiral bound. So this was kind of like the thing that you live and die by in, in junior high jazz bands. In this book, which I played through many times on the bass, was this song, Beautiful Love by Bill Evans. And I think that's probably going to be the song that I choose. That's, that was my first encounter with the song. Hmm. But and there's in, more to it. Well, I mean, this, this book you go through and... and you listen to the original recordings and you're like, okay, well that's how Bill Evans played it on this album. That's how so-and-so played it on that album. And you learn how they're actually played. I mean, it's a good framework. You're being such a music geek right now. <laughs> when let, let, let's talk about, I'll get there. Okay. <laughs> so I'm a bass player. I, I don't play guitar. Um, but I was kind of teaching myself guitar and this is the song that I was playing Uh, when my mother was dying of COPD. Mm. So I was seated next to her playing my guitar for hours and until she went on to the wherever. And you were playing Beautiful Love. And I was playing Beautiful Love, the Bill Evans version. Yeah. So that's probably got to be my pick. When was that? Uh, 2008? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. It was when she, she died. And so this song's been with me for... Since junior high. My, my entire life, right? Pretty much junior high. And then, I mean, even Helmet of all bands did a cover of this song. <laughs> it's hard to listen to for me. Right. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, that's an incredible story. That, it, that song has a, uh, it, ha- it has like a, a narrative arc to, to its uh, totally. trajectory wi- with you, you know, like the, the, the ac- just the acquisition of it, you know, and right. and 
is is a story in itself and and then obviously it it taught you a lot and then you know to play that as someone you know you loved is is going going out like that like those are that's a profound profound connection to a a piece of music mm. um yeah it's incredible yeah that's what so that's what this book does is it causes these profound connections between music and the you know just the human condition in general and you don't have to even understand the words <laughs> well there so, are no words in beautiful love <laughs> well i'm in this no i was just gonna know, say even if they, it's in another language you can right. still like connect with a piece of music but yeah in beautiful love interestingly there's no there's no lyrics but chad connects with music on a totally different level than I do. You know, when I listen to music, I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm an ex I'm experiencing something that's based on, you know, the the maybe the poetry of it. Whereas Chad, it's all about the musicianship and he hears things I don't hear. Well, in that song in particular, there's an interplay between Bill Evans, the piano player, and the bass player, Scott LaFara, who died in a car accident not long after it was recorded. I mean, the whole song has kind of a... I mean, Bill Evans has a, an entirely tragic trajectory of his life as well but mm. have you ever heard of the real book mike i have not heard of the real book um yeah it's uh i i do love though that there was a, a fake real book as a decoy <laughs> i know right <laughs> well <laughs> like that is that is some amazing like music store analness that is you don't hear stories like that anymore well i mean the fake book was like the legal version that was had nothing but all the square jazz songs in it mm. yeah, you don't want that who wants you don't that? Want that you want the good stuff yeah give me the good stuff so what have, what have you got <laughs> under the counter there sir i want the straight bill evans dope right. yeah exactly don't mess with me how long did it take to compile all of these and put this book together. I started in uh, June 2018. Uh, Killer Mike was the first interview that I did. Cool. And chose I his did... own damn song. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, but I respect he it. it up. Mm -hmm. he, yeah, he, he went with a bold choice. I was a little concerned that everybody was going to choose one of their own <laughs> songs since the first person that I talked to did. But that didn't happen. He was certainly an outlier. And uh, I finished the last, I was in production of it and doing page proofs this time last year. So it took about two years to do everything. And then I slipped in, I cut one interview and, and got the opportunity to add somebody in at the very, 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 very last minute. And my editor and the publisher made it happen and we turned it around in about we turned around the chapter and the art in about two days and then it then it went off it shipped wow that's impressive mm -hmm. yeah cool how many were there any others that kind of hit the cutting room floor no there wasn't um it was uh you know for the 32 yeses that i got i probably got 100 no's um so it was you know, it was a lot of a lot of wrangling for two years, and you know, I shot for the stars, and in some in some ways, and and sometimes just people, 
you know, just didn't align with their schedules. So, you know, and I had pushed back the deadline a, a few times. So uh, I was really happy with the the choices at the end. I think they all, everything, none is like the other. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know. It tells a nice story. When yeah. I was around, you know, the seventh interview that I did for it, I was starting to see that emerge that like, like everything is starting to be really different and everybody's really taking this in a really unique way. I hope it keeps up. And uh, luckily it did. Mm. I'm just going to say there's always a volume two, right? Yeah. There could be a volume two. Uh, I've also thought about another interesting thing to do around this subject is to to hit comedians with like the the same thing like what's the last joke you would hear whoa you know, that's a less, really good idea you know I, I, called, I, and it would be called the last <laughs> laugh mm, i love oh, it so geez. much <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feeling um, it would just be you know, a book of aristocrat jokes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, it could very well be that so i think but i think that would that would involve a whole different experience and but also just you know give insight into how comedians minds think and what they hold dear about about comedy and what makes them laugh and it would probably be a more funny read than this because mm-hmm. uh, jokes should be funny but um yeah we'll see you're, you're cornering the market on death <laughs> How how did you choose who to go after? You know, like the 136 people or however many people you approached. How did you put that list together? Was it based on like people that you admire or people you had access to? or how It was happen? both. It was um, some was just cold outreaching and just uh, saying, I think, you know, articulating why they would be great great for it. Uh, a lot of it was, uh, just relationships I developed in covering the music industry over 15 years. And not everybody obviously said yes, but the idea was put in front of them where they could at least say no. And it would be, it would be fast tracked. Um, so that, that was kind of it. It was just, you know, casting a wide net, uh, looking at people who I think are doing really interesting things right now and seeing if they would be, if they would be interested and, and, and that was it. I mean, at the end of the day, I think as we've been, we've been discussing, uh, everybody's, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, I would think you're your answer is fascinating. So if we go back to no doubt, if I don't particularly like, am a fan of Gwen Stefani's music, I still think her answer would be fascinating. I would love to know what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Totally. I want to talk about, Chad, do you have a specific question? Do you mind opening up your hymnal to page 134? Opening up my hymnal to page 134? The hymnal being... One, One last, last song. song by Mike Ayers. Ooh, for those of us just joining that's us. A, that's an apt description. <laughs> oh, yes. So you, Chad kind of called them interludes, which, you know, was a really cool way to tie everything together in this book, but also make it an incredibly interesting read and get you thinking about 
I don't know, your own death, how you would plan your death, how to plan your death. But on page 134, there's a spread of terms for dying and how often they're included in songs. Chad, give us some examples. The Genius Guide to Songs About Death. Six Feet Under. Uh, we've got Dearly Departed. We've got Meet Your Maker. Croak. Kick, the big kick one. the bucket. Pushing up daisies. Yeah. This was super cool. Like you went through and did this like non-specific. Uh, very scientific search. Very non. <laughs> it's got there's graphs. A disclaimer. There's, a, there's a graph. For how often these appear in songs, which I thought was super fun. So how did you come up with these ideas to like do these interludes for lack of a better word? Yeah, we 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 were calling interludes is such a better term from what we were calling them. We were calling them just sidebar chapters. And uh, yeah, I, I think the idea was to just break up the the essays from the the musicians that could be heavy with mm. things that are more lighthearted. So if you know if you were reading it from start to finish, then it would it would kind of give a little bit of a a relief from thinking about those sorts of things. But if it's on a coffee table and you pick it up and just open to a random page, you can get a takeaway from that as well. Mm. So it was kind of thinking about constructing constructing the text for two different types of readers. And yeah, it was all it was all just about being light kind of like lighthearted around it and giving it you know a little bit of a, a tone shift so so it's not um incredibly potentially incredibly too heavy uh, too heavy too much of a bummer yeah and <laughs> and and that was it um you know this this funeral company in the uk does this study and I'd, I'd known about the study about the most popular songs that people play at funerals, which is not this book. But I, whenever I was talking about this book, when I was making it to just random friends, they would say like, yeah, I'm thinking about my funeral songs too. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not talking about that. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the book is not your funeral. It's before your funeral that you get to hear. Yeah. And, but it kind of signaled that, oh, like, they're kind of in the same vein and people would are, are constantly thinking about funeral songs and what they would like played there. So this company in the, uh, in the UK, you know, has had that data and I thought it would be fun to just round that up into a, into a, a chart broken down by genres just to, to show what, uh, what popular choices are and incredibly how many people really like Frank Sinatra's My Way played at their, uh, at their funeral. At their, at, at their funeral. Um, I would not choose <clears throat> Frank Sinatra's My Way at my funeral, but um, a lot of people, a lot of people would. I think it's just, you know, the, the interludes are just more ways to, I don't know, think about, think about the subject and, and drive conversation. Right. And a little bit more of a, a spunky way, if you will. I like that word. Well, spunky. and I did rather like the levity it provided. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. the middle of it all, I'm like, oh, God, now I'm thinking about death again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just, I sat down and, re and read it cover to cover. It wasn't like just sitting on the coffee table and I'd open it up and look at it and be like, oh, well, that's clever. 
mm-hmm. and then move on. It was clever, by the way. It's a very clever book. Your voice is, is it's clever, it's fun, it's lighthearted, and also serious. I especially like the little stat sidebars. Mm. You know? For example. Yeah, that well. was fun. That was fun to research. And, um, you know, one of the ones, uh, the Richard Reed Perry from Arcade Fire, who picked the John Martin song, Small Hours, you know, I got in touch with oh, right. the, the guy that was recording it to, uh, the guy that the producer that recorded it and just to fact check some things that I'd, you know, wanted to include in those, those little song notes, those, those fact boxes. And he gave me this incredible, so I, I found him on the internet and emailed him and he, uh, you know, he confirmed the things that I was wondering, but gave me some great quotes too, about just the recording. He, he weaved in and it was like, I have it written into my will that this song will be played at my funeral. And I was just like, I didn't even ask you this. And this is, you know, like this song, you're connected to this song that my artist in the book is connected to this song. And it's just, I don't know, th- like those little things, um, you know, there's just a lot of little, uh, for lack of better words, just neat, uh, findings that i found out about people's uh people's picks that i didn't that i didn't necessarily know mm-hmm. at all well and that one was the one that was recorded like across a lake or a gravel yes. pit and yes like what like a quarter mile from where the people were playing yeah it, it sounds so cool like that was that I was one that of, song either and i became an instant fan of it it was it was it it's great that seems to be kind of a, a theme I noticed in a couple of of these. There were people who were talking about the aspect of recording and how they recorded it outside, and how it wasn't in a you know a quote unquote studio environment. I forget what the other one was that I'm was thinking about, but it's like they seem to admire that people were recording this outside, and they love the fact that they can hear birds and mm. you know children running around in the background and and water lapping. Yeah, to, w- I think it's to which like, I think, why don't you do that in your recordings? Yeah. <laughs> Neil it's, Young did that a lot. It's maybe like more naturalistic. Yeah, I think Neil Young loves the idea of, of, of that and bringing the world into, into yeah. a recording. He really cares about the natural world in general. There's a song where he, he yells, turn up the barn, turn up the barn. Because I guess the uh, amplifiers, like all the equipment's up in the barn, and he's like out in a field playing. <laughs> I, I think he was uh, floating in a in a. Boat. Or he was in a canoe. That's true. He was true. in a canoe playing his guitar. Yeah. Anyway, that makes me happy. <laughs> music is awesome. Well, and I mean, our natural world is filled with music, and I think you sort of alluded to this too in the introduction. You know, if even if we didn't have instruments. You know, if, if all of the recorded music in the world was taken away, we, we still have our voice. You know, we still have our hands and nature and that in and of itself is music. Yeah. That, I mean, that's Jim. Jim writes about that in his foreword that I mean, that's like it's, it's another incredible point that I love about that, about that forward that uh, you're exactly right. I mean, you can. You, you can take all those things away and it'll still, it'll still exist, mm-hmm. you know? 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's and maybe that's one of the reasons why this it's just like another unique quality about this art form and that you know when people didn't have all of that technology they still music was passed down from generations to generations and it was it was voices and just uh you know hands or or, or whatever to make uh make the voice surrounded by something and i mean that's that's just a you know a product of of humanity that mm-hmm. i don't know we're mm-hmm. just lucky to we're lucky to have and we're lucky to have you know us existing right now it's just <laughs> you know we're lucky to have all the the music that that we do and you know in the grand scheme of time like you know i don't know before 1920 no one had these sorts of things you know and then it just really accelerated in the the 40s 50s and 60s and it's just there's just so much of this art now that people connect to and can connect to just it's just endless where did the idea to ask people about their last song come from? So I was at a show in New York City, and uh, I got on a train to to go home after the show, and it was uh, it was late at night, and my mind started just I think wanting to distract itself, and. I threw on the song Terrapin Station by the Grateful Dead, as I was referencing earlier. And I just started thinking to myself, I love this song. Hmm. This was like six years ago. I was like, I love this song. I've always loved it. I will continue to always love it. And I don't understand why I don't get tired of it. And this would easily be the last song I'd ever want to hear. And that's my brain. And and then <laughs> as the train ride is going, I'm just kind of like, you know what? That would be a really good, I think that would be a good idea for a, a book. What if, you know, I got a bunch of musicians to answer that question? I, I, I bet their answers would be, uh, I bet they'd be pretty good. And I sat with the idea for like six months and typically Typically when I start, when I have an idea and it's still percolating, it's still coming up into my mind months later, I tell myself that I need to act on it. And it's just, you know, I need to, I need to see if it's a viable thing. And if, if it's not, then good. I know the answer and I can move on and stop thinking about it. And in this case, uh, I, I, a lot of people kept saying that it was a viable idea. So uh, that's how it became. Mm. I love that it started with you listening to your last song. That's very cool. Yeah, it was just, it was just, um, I don't know if it was a light bulb moment, but it, it was certainly, it certainly jogged, jogged and sparked the idea for, for this book, that, that moment, I can see it. I can still see it right now. Um, and I can still feel, uh, you know, it was, 
I'd had a long day. I'd been out, uh, had a few beers. Like I was like, I was tired. It's probably like a Wednesday night. You know, it was, it was, it was school night. Dealing so, with New Jersey um, transit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. My mind wanted to not think about anything else except how much I loved this song and why that was. And, and yeah, that's what sparked it. So here's a morbid question. Have you ever thought about how you want to die? I think everybody has. Um, I, I think I used to think about it a lot more than I, I do now. I, Probably, probably just like peacefully in the sleep. Isn't that what everybody wants? They yeah. just don't want to know. Um, now, you might I'm... say, yeah, but you're not going to be able to hear a last song. Well, I guess there in this can. scenario, oh, I got to pick. Right. Yeah. I do get to pick. And like <laughs> someone kind of tipped me off. Like, hey, do you want to listen to this tonight? I really think you should listen to it because it could give you more anxiety than comfort. Maybe, but 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 hopefully I'll be like super old and I'll just be like a little incoherent and be like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. It could be like a dream, you know. Like like I'm always up for that song. You don't need. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to read into it. Um, (laughs) You're just trying to make me happy, and 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 that's it. That's it. That's how. That's how it goes in this fantasy. I vacillate. I vacillate between wanting to jump off of a really, really, really high rock, like El Capitan. Jesus. I know. But see, a I'm rock? a rock climber. Yeah, like a really uh, big, beautiful, okay. sheer granite cliff. Like that would be amazing. Just the feeling of being able to like feel what it would feel like to fall that far. Knowing, of course, you're gonna, you're, it, but you know, I don't think about that. I'm just like the end. If okay. I, I'm, I'm dying anyway, right? I, okay, the problem I is guess, like, yes. what if you lived? Of course, I'd rather die peacefully in my sleep. But I do. I have this vision sometimes. I'm like, you know, if I was like diagnosed and with something, and I knew I was going to die, yeah, you know, I think that that might be my way out. Just a granite cliff. I have seen my death, and it involves our driveway. <laughs> Our, our driveway is made of bricks and it gets wet and super slick and it's super steep. So you're going to, and like, I've already slid a couple times. And that's going to be the end of you. By the time I'm 60 something, 70 something, that, that driveway is going to be the death of me. And by that time we'll have really good speakers outside. So I'll see you slipping and I'll put your You'll last song on <laughs> so that you can hear it as you slide down to your death. It's going to have beautiful love on, on repeat All the time. it's raining out. That's yep. <laughs> totally. That's, that's <laughs> the answer. Thank you, Mike. Well, this has been awesome. <laughs> I know um, y'all are visualizing it now. The slipping, the, the yep. song playing. I, I, I see what's happening. I wish you could see our driveway because it is, it is horrific. Mm, it's a very steep. Like if we lived anywhere where it snows, it's, it just wouldn't. I'd already be dead. It wouldn't go. Yeah, it's not, it'd be a no-go. But it doesn't snow here yet. With the yeah. climate change, who knows what might happen. We have something super exciting that we want to talk to our listeners about, and it involves a giveaway. So listeners, as you know, we are the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival, which, by the way, is July 17th and July 31st. We've got two full days of programming, and we're going to do a giveaway. Mike Ayers has agreed to sign three copies of this amazing book, One Last Song. 
And here's how it's going to go down. I'm holding it up for our listeners. So they, they can not so they can see hear it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you like just ruffle the pages so they can hear it? Thank you. That was perfect. So here's the idea, right, Mike? So we would like to invite our listeners to share their last song and why. The why. That's the key. That's the key. Why that's your last song. We're going to choose three. And then we're going to do a bonus episode. We're going to read those three on air with Mike. In fact, we'll probably have Mike read them. Unless you don't want to. No pressure, Mike. I would love to read them. Cool. Cool. 100%. So yeah. So three people will win a signed copy of Mike Ayer's book, One Last Song. So the details are going to be on the page on San Diego Writers Festival.com. You're going to go to the premise page of the website and you can listen to this. Wait a minute. How does this work? This is going to be airing in a couple of weeks. So when it happens, you can go to the website and get all the details where you can send in your last song. Any other thoughts, comments from you guys? No? No. Chad's like, nope. Um, the blank look on my face? Yeah. No. Mike, no, anything you'd like to add? It. Yeah, I know. Okay. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing what people, people submit. I am too. I mean, the process for me was like, you know, I spent some time with it, you know, and I thought for sure, like, you know, I told the story already. And then when I came to my song, I like, I just knew like deep in my soul that like, this is my song. I felt it. So I'm excited for people to experience that too. And of course, to get a beautiful copy, signed copy of your book. So with that, Chad, do you have a final question involving de desert islands? Oh, yeah. See, that's the funny thing is like at the start of this book, <laughs> you talk about, uh, you, you set up the ground rules for the question, right? And there was one part that kind of alluded towards, uh, this isn't a desert islands album pick. It's not. But usually at the end of our episodes, I ask for desert island book picks because, you know, generally... We do authors. Now we've got... But I think um, we can be an album pick in this I case. I think we could probably do albums in yeah. this case because... Hmm. I want to know. know. We have a music author It's our podcast and we can do whatever we want. Exactly. Yeah. So Mike... What are your five Desert Island albums? Wow, that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, <laughs> it is difficult, totally. You don't have to get five. I would say... Something from the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I don't know which one. Something from the Grateful Dead. Something from maybe probably Miles Davis or John Coltrane. Nice. Um, mm. Something from like the Beastie Boys or Tribe Called Quest. Mm, nice. Sorry, and, I'm judging your musical tastes. <laughs> and probably, I mean, this is tough. Like this is five. Probably something from. Radiohead, um, but I worry about all of those choices, me getting tired of those choices. So mm -hmm. this is, this is, it's just inherently another, another hard question, but I think those artists, it would, it would be, those artists would be my desert island artists, mm -hmm. I think, but I would be really sad about leaving others behind. It's incredibly sad. Understood. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I have the same problem with books and albums. It's like, but, but, but there's these other two, and then you know you waffle, and it's just hard to do. Luckily, none of us are castaways, so we're good. Yep. <laughs> At this, we're point. good. I mean, these are questions where the stakes are very high. It's like, what totally near and dear to you, and <laughs> you know, make a choice, put up or shut up, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, we're not marooned. We're not on the rock floating down, but not yet. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> to think about. <laughs> well, and I think with that said, we can all just feel grateful for the music in our lives and the choices we have. Mike Ayers, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Chad and I today, for sharing your book, for compiling these amazing stories from all these great artists. We really appreciate it. Listeners, you can go oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say yes. Thank you so much. This was so fun. This was such a fun conversation. It was fun. I knew it was going to be fun. But it was more fun because like the deep side of it, the human side of it is just like so interesting to me, like storytelling in general, you know, and, and songwriting is a form of storytelling. But how you hear that song, I think, is another form of storytelling. You know, the listener adds to the story. Right. Once a piece of art is out there, it's no longer the creators. Exactly. Exactly. All right. You can learn more about Mike Ayers on his website, Mike-Ayers, that's A-Y-E-R-S dot com, and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at the Mike Ayers and on Facebook at Mike Ayers. One last song it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful experience. I hope all of you will grab it and keep it on your shelf or on your coffee table. It's available everywhere books are sold. And as always, folks, we encourage you to shop local. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at The Premise Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Pod Premise. And subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, be safe, be kind, stay positive, think about your last song, win a book. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.